talk comics this is a wtc presents special we are talking with legendary legendary do you mind that that's fine i've heard it before yeah how about <laughs> prolific yeah, pro, well both it, it's weird because i was just next to one of the creators i think is legendary walt simonson who i just worked with we were at another show together just yesterday and him i call legendary me i give me a couple of years before i get there uh, I just I've been rereading his Thor, and now I just want to talk to you about that. But uh, okay, uh, let's, come, let's say him yet. <laughs> lovable, the lovable Scott Hanna. I am, of course, just so people know that I am the Crown Prince of Charisma, Mo. And this over here is uh, the Chief Defender of the Faith. He is uh, uh, the uh, Mister Brett Podcast, the uh, the yep, King of the it. Casters. We like to call him. The king of the casters. So we need a really good nickname for you at some point, or Scott. <laughs> what did Marvel ever give you? One of those uh, those nicknames at the beginning of books that they like to do? Uh, I believe they did at one point, uh, pretty early in my career, but I forgot what it was. One of one of the ones I remember is uh, I first started working at DC, and Mike Carlin was one of my early editors who I loved working with. I worked with him for years and years. Um, one issue, they misprinted my name, and it was said Scotta Hanna, and he just started calling me Scotta Hanna from then on. It wasn't official, but that was his nickname for me from that point. I think not that's quite, not quite as good as like you know, handsome Harry Hanna or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or well, comic book form, you know, probably like Savage Scott Hanna. Or something yeah, exactly. like that. That's good. I like that. Yeah, but I'm not savage at all. So <laughs> well, let's go. We'll stick with lovable. Uh, <laughs> well, Scott, let's just go, let's start off a little bit with the you. We'll kind of see where the conversation goes here, but because uh, like I say, we're really looking forward to talking to you, but. Um, so you broke in. It's almost thirty years, or it's thirty years ago. I guess it is over, right? Nineteen eighty-six was it? Yep. Wow. Uh, and I, actually, before that, I had worked frequently. The way creators used to get started in the business back then is they would work as an apprentice or an assistant to another comic book artist, do work without getting any credit for it. And so I actually had some published work, you know, under you know under somebody else for about a year before I started working at DC or actually my first work was Eternity Comics I was there for about a year then I went to DC and that started my long time term career I don't suppose you uh worked on the the uh Eclipse character uh Gonad the Barbarian did you <laughs> was that one of yours that no that was not one of yours. <laughs> Man, I've always wanted one of those. If somebody runs across one of those, you ship it up to me here in Calgary. <laughs> going at, I mean, what were they thinking? Going at the Barbarian. I do remember that, yes. And I was a gigantic fan of Conan, actually. So so even if it's a bad parody, you still got to read it, you know? <laughs> I remember some things like that, yeah. <laughs> bad parodies are, <laughs> oh, yeah. You can go down a bad rabbit hole. Yeah, there's some of my favorite books of all time. <laughs> and then there's Gru, which is just a great parody. Yeah. <laughs> And I got to work with I got to work with Sergio Aragones when he did Sergio Aragones destroys the DC universe. I did his like little Batman chapter in that. Oh, nice! Have you met him in person? No, I don't think so. Uh, really? this, the stories that I've heard over the years about him are uh, unreal. <laughs> How about it? That's actually interesting, though. So you worked you you go off you worked with DC shortly after, was it? Yes, that, yeah. that was my first one, and I think I had an exclusive contract with them for about five years, uh, or it might have been even more than that, because I didn't start working for Marvel until after I'd been working. I kind of worked my way up to Batman, which was the big deal. Um, it, it's still a big deal, obviously. 
Um, and I got to work on Nightfall storyline and things like that. And I did have an exclusive while I was still on Detective. But at one point, the, uh, they gave me an option and I was given the window to work on Spider-Man. And so I started working on Spider-Man and Batman at the same time. No, that's actually interesting that you mentioned Nightfall. Because that's another one we're reading because uh, we've had Chuck Dixon and, and uh, Doug Munchon recently. Oh, yeah. And- I- yeah, I, I loved working with both of them. I only got to work with Doug once, but he actually lives very close to me here in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, well, that's were nice. you uh, were you kind of like as a, as your as the inker? Um, were you kind of in on the creative process? Uh, like I know that they used to have Batman used to what they would do some sort of weekend together or something like that, where they laid out the year storylines or something like that. Uh, oh, Daniel O'Neill, they- right? Actually, uh, interestingly enough, most of the time as an anchor, I have almost no input in the writing side. (laughs) But when I was on, especially on, I was on Detective Comics for a five-year run, which included the Nightfall storyline. And I was actually, uh, occasionally when they had these editorial retreats where they invited all the editor, all the writers, the editors of the Bat books, and they would plan out literally a year's worth of crossovers between the four or five major titles. I was the only artist that was there like every year for those like five. I was, sometimes other pencilers and, and stuff would get invited, but I was like one of the regulars that I was continually there. So they allowed me to give as much input as you know chuck dixon doug mensch would throw out ideas i would throw out ideas and they i i loved it because i got to in a small way participate in the planning of a whole year's worth of batman stories and that was the literally the best uh creator situation i've ever been in on the batman books because they they allowed me to give that much input well, given that, you know, I'm sure there was some comics that you were probably happy to not have a lot of uh, creative <laughs> input on. I could, you know, looking at some of your Spider-Man work, like, it was... <laughs> well, some of my Spider-Man work was really good, yes. and some of it was not as good. And well, yes. I, I would never blame you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try, I try to do my part as well as I can, no matter what the... And I, yes, I have worked on some horrible stories at times. And even, I I hate to say this, but it's been enough years, it should be okay, that I had a very long run on Batman, like five-year block, we're in almost all the Bat books, and I had an even longer run on most of the Spider-Man books. I think I was drawing Spider-Man for something like 13 years, almost nonstop. And over the course of those years, uh, especially in the early days of Spider-Man, I was like, wait a second. This plot is exactly like a plot I did on Batman last year. Oh no! And then, and then I get the same thing in a Batman plot. It's like, wait a second, I could have sworn I did this plot over in Spider Man last year. <laughs> and, like, and they could, and, or or it was, it, it may not be that distinctive, but I I do a lot of books, and I frequently do you know multiple books every month, so I get a lot of scripts coming through my table, and it it would be like especially in the you know 25 years ago 30 years ago they kind of had a cyclic thing of okay here's the basic spider-man plot and let's just recycle the uh, uh, put a new villain in here you know but the storyline was essentially the same as something they had done a year or two or three before and because i had been in the business for so long i started seeing these cycles happening over and over but then i think it wasn't until uh, when Straczynski came on Amazing Spider-Man, that he started doing like brand new stuff that had never been done before, that I never saw before. It wasn't that the stuff I had done prior to that was bad. We did some really spectacular things. We were I, like, I came in on Maximum Carnage. Uh, I came in on the Clone Saga, which was not good and bad. Uh, I can tell you. <clears throat> I was. I was. I wasn't going to say that one of the bad <laughs> books was Clone Saga. <coughs> Clone Saga. <laughs> but you know. Well, the, the weird thing, too, is be, because of the cyclical nature of comics, and I've been in the business for so long, I worked on the original Clone Saga, and then when they brought back the Clone Saga like a, a couple of years ago, I worked on some covers and stuff for that. And then the same thing happened like during Nightfall. I worked on you know uh, both Bane breaking Batman's back and then the, the climax of it where 
Batman finally comes back and defeats Bane. I got to work on that issue. And then just a few years ago with the new 52, I did the exact same thing of Batman fighting against Bane for the climactic issue where Batman finally defeats Bane again. And it was a literally like 25 year separation of the same basic story. So it's weird how comics do that. Did now has your has your time in the comic industry allowed you to kind of gain knowledge and figure out of these storylines what's going to be more popular coming up and be like this one's going to be a hit this one's maybe not so much um it some things are you know a hit right away when you do that but there are other things it's really hard to predict that they're you know, I worked on the Guardians of the Galaxy when nobody in the universe except for hardcore comic book fans even had a clue who Groot was or Rocket Raccoon. And I worked on uh, the you know early stories of that, that team. I wasn't in the very beginning, but I had drawn them for quite a few years. And I never expected in a million years it would turn into a billion-dollar movie franchise, uh, which is being fantastically well done. So, yeah, and, you know, even, even now, I, they're, they're starting to reprint a lot of my stuff that ties into the movie. So because the New Guardians introduced the character of Mantis, I worked on a pretty important Avengers storyline with Mantis in it. So that's being reprinted right now. And when I first did it, I was like, oh, this is just a standard Avengers story in outer space. No big deal. But because it had the core character of Mantis and she's now in the movie universe, it's a big deal again. So you really it's it's very difficult to predict um, in most cases, especially for the more obscure characters. You know, I hear all these and you, you throw out these storylines that I've read and, and know and like you say they're becoming movies and everything. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, 30 years in the industry and awards and uh, lovable and why the <laughs> hell don't you have a Wikipedia page? I don't... I, actually, you know, that's actually... Uh, my wife was... Uh, we, uh, My wife and I actually formed a school. We teach and stuff. And I was looking up on Wikipedia and I'm like, why the heck don't I have a Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're actually not allowed to do one for yourself. They what? actually kind of forbid you creating your own Wikipedia page. Somebody else has to do it. So if you guys want to do a wiki page on me, go ahead. I'll, I love it. I'll even give you resources. But hey, it's I, would, easy I, would, I would totally be down with that. <laughs> we're going to do that. You can guarantee we're going to do that. Think about it from our perspective. You know how hard it is to interview somebody these days when you're so used to just using Wikipedia <laughs> to find out about them? It's, it's a great because it's such a great like even though not everything's true it's a great place to start you know and it's that much harder to research a guy yeah you, you're really not thinking about us enough Scott. Uh. well now actually a, a couple of years ago i think we actually got a call from a college student who wanted he had also found out there was no wiki page on me he wanted to do one for college credit, and then if he could get it published after he, you know, finished it up. So we actually gave him all this info, and he never got back to us. He never got it turned into a wiki page. So we're going to have this done by the end of the week. <laughs> I'm not, not kidding. We're going to have this done by the end of the week. This is priority number one. So we're going to get a Wikipedia page up for you. Because, I mean, what else are we going to link to? Uh, you know, your, your Twitter, I guess. But, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you do have the school that is the uh, Art and Fashion Institute. Is that right? Arts and Fashion Institute. It's uh, it's a tiny school because literally it's, uh, it's pretty much my wife teaches fashion. She was on the TV show Project Runway. Uh, she's a, an amazing designer and a phenomenal <laughs> teacher. And then I teach in my free time when I'm not doing like three or four books, comic books a month. Um, I'm actually teaching classes. So I teach classes in everything from fine art drawing, anatomy, sequential art, penciling, inking, all that stuff. So it's not just for an inker necessarily. Uh, like oh, not at all. It's, I, I, I learned, um, actually, my mother is a fine artist, so I learned how to paint oils when I was 11 years old. Um, I think the foundation of all art should be just really, really strong essentials and basic drawing skills. And that's what I always try to teach first. The, the stuff like cartooning and inking and even coloring has to come after learning how to draw well. Uh, so my fundamentals are always about just good drawing. So has there been an, any desire from you to move away from inking and do more penciling or is it 
pretty much just inking pays the bills. And <laughs> well, yeah, I, one of the reasons I became an inker is surprisingly enough, I actually earn more money than most pencilers do. Um, a lot of that's because of my speed. I am so quick at inking. Um, penciling I love to do, but it takes a little bit longer. I tend to agonize over the, the storytelling because I really – like I teach storytelling. So I get really into it and I, I kind of second-guess myself and over-plan stuff. Uh, whereas inking is just my drawing skill, which goes fast. It's not having to do the storytelling part, which takes me a little bit longer. But interestingly enough, I literally, uh, I just got contacted by a uh, publisher that wants me to uh, pencil and ink uh, four or five covers for them. Um, I have another possibility of, of doing some penciling for DC, though that's still up in the air right now. Um, but yeah, every now and then, the you know, I get my penciling hat on and I get to do some of the initial drawing. But inking does pay the bills. So... You know, oh, uh, probably about two years ago, I talked to Brett Breeding, and it was interesting because he he was telling me about some of the pencilers that he liked working with, and maybe that that were less work, and some that were more work. Uh, so I'm I'm interested in your in your experience in that way. Like he had mentioned that Dan Jurgens was pretty light with the pencils, and that he had to do a lot more filling in of stuff. So, and if you want to talk bad about any of them and actually insult them, that's fine too. So. <laughs> Well, it's good I, radio, especially Dan. I mean, he's he's been on the show, so it's, oh, it's all good. Dan, Dan, I just worked. The last time I worked with Dan was uh, Superman, Lois, and Clark, and he. I love work. Dan is fantastic to work with because uh, I worked with him as a penciler and as a writer. And he, as a writer, he thinks like an artist, so he thinks visually. So it makes it the job of the artist much easier because he's a visual storyteller. A lot of writers write scripts and they don't understand pictures. Uh, so especially beginning comic book people, they're like, oh, yeah, I can write. I've written a book. And then they try to write a comic book and they don't realize the pictures have to tell most of the story. Um, but anyway, um, wait, so I, I think I lost track of what the initial question <laughs> Well, I was, I was interested in like uh, oh. the, yeah, the, oh. the other people you've worked with. Okay. Yeah. Well, I one, because I do pencil, one of my favorite things to do is actually work with um, layout artists who give you like looser art and they require the inker to be the finisher. Uh, most people don't realize that if it says in the credits of a comic book that it, when it says finisher, that means the inker is actually finishing the pencils and then inking it. So it's not just inking where you get tight pencils and you have to, you know, go directly over that. In breakdowns and finishes or layouts and finishes, I, I've gotten things where, you know, you get a circle and a, a loop and a circle and a loop and a little arrow saying, this is Batman and this is Robin, you know, oh, so, so, so sometimes it's very rough. Sometimes uh, like Dan Jurgens usually does the breakdown thing of he gives me all the basic storytelling, the placement of the characters, the main char the main uh, forms. But it's up to the inker to add all the shadows, the textures, the rendering within those forms. So hair might be just a simple white, you know, outline or a simple outline, and I'll turn it into black hair. So I have to put all the blacks in, put all the textures in, all that stuff. Um, and I love doing finishes. Um, one artist who's kind of on the edge. We we I've never I actually have worked with his very rough pencils, but. Uh, John Romita Jr., who I worked with for ages on Spider-Man and a lot of other things, he gives he gives kind of full pencils, but they still leave a lot of room for the artist to uh, the ink artist to interpret them and to do them your own way. Uh, that's why if you look at John Romita Jr.'s work, every inker makes him look very very different than every other. Uh, so if he's working with Klaus Janssen or Danny Mickey, or Tom Palmer, or me, all four versions look absolutely different from one. Give the listeners a little bit of info here that we lost you uh, in the middle of that last call on Skype. Uh, you were talking about John Romita, Romita Jr. and how he's looking different, and uh, we're on the phone with you now. If you don't mind kind of picking it up from, from there, what you were, if you remember what you were saying a few minutes ago, there, I forgot what I was saying just yesterday or today or anything. But. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll do, I'll do a recap. That um, when I worked with John, he was one of those wonderful pencilers that he gives you as much information as you need, but he really expects the inker to 
be what's called an embellisher and they kind of take over, put some of the, their own personality into it, uh, put a lot of their own style into it. Like he would do things like just kind of use the edge of a pencil um, to fill in a dark area. And then he'd do other pencil lines on top of that dark area. And you're like, as an inker, you're like, wait, is this supposed to be a gray area with black lines on it? Is it supposed to be white lines on a black area? Is it supposed to be a combination of those two things? And when I first started working with them, I, I asked him these questions. He's like, Scott, just do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, cool. That's great. And he kind of learned that from his father because that was the way pencilers and inkers always worked in the early days, especially at Marvel, that the inkers were required to be real artists themselves who could pencil and they would get the rough, the basic blocked in storytelling, the, the gestures, the movements, and they would be required to add in all the details, the shadows, the, the windows on buildings, the, the bricks, the, the shadows, the textures, the rocks, the hair uh, strands, all that stuff would be the inker's job. And I still love to do that whenever I get the opportunity in today's comics, but it's rarer. Most pencilers now think, oh, I have to make this inker proof. I have to make it like really, really tight so the inker can't make a mistake. And part of that is because they don't always trust inkers. They, they want it to be all, all their own personality or whatever. Um, whereas in the early days, it was more collaborative of they got to share the credit. Like if you looked at artists like John Basema, who is one of my favorite pencilers, he penciled in a very loose style. So again, when he worked with different inkers, his work looked different because the inkers personality came into play. Um, so, uh, but now, nowadays, uh, even I still get some opportunities to do that, what's called finishing, where I get very rough pencils, I finish the inks, or finish the pencils, and then I ink it. Um, and even some pencilers, I was mentioning that David Finch, who I worked with last year on Wonder Woman, he's one of those phenomenal pencilers that he gives me, he, he does very tight pencils. He does all the blacks. He does all the rendering. He does the strands of hair. He does lots of textures. He thinks like an inker. He thinks with the blacks and the textures. But even with all that and giving me tight information, he still encourages the inker to add to the process and say, okay, I'm going to give you some texture, but I want you to turn it into even more texture, or I'm going to give you some strands of hair. I want you to add even more strands of hair. Um, so that type of thing is actually great because it pushes me to do more and use some of my own personality and my own some way of thinking. Um, and like David, for instance, uh, when I, we did a Batman and Robin cover and he did this really nice stone work in the foreground. I'm like, okay, this is cool, but I love stone textures. I love rocks and stones. So I went really into it and did even more. And by the end, he's like, okay, Scott, I, you're better texture than I am. Just like keep doing what you're doing. So when you get that kind of partnership with a penciler, it's really, really fun. So uh, this is what I got. That was great. Uh, here's what I got out of all that. I don't know if this is what you meant to say, but... This, this is what I got out of it. Is, uh, you know, uh, uh, John Bishima, one of your favorite, uh, favorite Sal Skrull. Is that? <laughs> Sal, that guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Both of them were tremendous. Sally. Hey, I actually, I actually got to work with Sal one time, and he is a great guy. And yeah, he doesn't have the same reputation as his brother John, but he still did a lot of the comics I grew up with, and you have to give him credit for what he did do. I was just kidding, just kidding. That's that's what I do. Uh, this is this is why. See, I'm I'm the personality. That's why I'm the Crown Prince of Charisma, the brother of the King of the Castles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're more than willing to push the envelope and to try to. to try I'm just trying to get, you know, like I said, I mean, if you talk crap about somebody's oh, great radio. I'm just trying to get a little, get you in trouble if I can. <laughs> you're never coming yeah. back on. <laughs> so, so how long does it take you to do like like to do a regular page where where maybe it's it's fairly tight and you're just kind of going over it. Or like in embellishing it, or and then how long would it take you to do a finish? Um, normally, actually, finishes doesn't always take me that much longer than regular inking because um, 
again, I have a lot of drawing skill on my own. I know how to pencil. So sometimes I can do finishes almost as fast as I do inking. But generally, um, I am considered to be one of the fastest inkers in the business. I think I've uh, supposedly have inked more pages than certainly anybody else alive, but supposedly more than anybody else in the history of comics. Um, Because my page count now is about 21 or 22,000 pages. Um, And in order to do that, I normally ink a page in about four hours. So a standard normal page takes me about four hours. A very complex page may take me six or eight hours. A very easy page might take me one or two hours, depending on what's on the page. Uh, when I do finishes, it's usually more like the six-hour mark as opposed to the four-hour mark. So, I, well, actually, this is interesting. I have, I have two questions. One, I'll make a comment because I think then that you must be the easiest person to find something to sign um, at a convention <laughs> in the history of the world. <laughs> With that many pages, it's, everybody's got to have something in their collection. In yeah, their- yeah. Basically, that's kind of a running joke I have at conventions that literally, if you read comics in the past 30 years, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to have something of mine in your collection. Yes. <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is I've actually forgotten the question that, that went with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so engrossed in, try, in trying to do that. Um so, so run us through your process then and just the inking process. Like what makes you so fast? You know, obviously it's your artistic ability to draw, but like is there, is there just something that, that an inker should do to, to kind of be better? Um, that, it's, it's weird. Every artist is different, and I never intended to be like the fastest guy alive or anything like that. It just kind of happened. Um, a lot of it, yeah, absolutely has to do with a good inker has to be able to be a good draftsman. They have to know what they're doing to get the confidence to go faster. Uh, like I teach anatomy, so artistic anatomy. So I know how to fix muscles if they're drawn poorly by the penciler. I know how to correctly interpret a good penciler. So I'm clearly understanding the same thing that they're understanding. Uh, so when I work with an artist, again, like David Finch or Lee Weeks, those guys are such good draftsmen that uh, uh, the key of the inker is to properly put the lines on that echo the forms that are already there. If you don't know how to draw, you can't do that properly. Um, the other thing, I actually have, uh, people have told me that I have an incredible amount of focus so that one of the things that slows down artists the most is always wondering what to do. Like you start making a mark and like, Oh, what do I do next? Or how do I do the next thing? Instead of just, if you actually count the minutes that your hands touching the paper, as opposed to how many minutes you're thinking about touching your hand to the paper. um, It's usually like you're thinking 10 times longer than you're actually drawing. Um, And one of my, my skills is that, I frequently draw all the time. So if I sit down for four hours on a page, I'm drawing for like, I take, I do take breaks. I'm human, Uh, (laughs) but I might be drawing for a full, you know, three and a half hours of that four hours or three hours and 45 minutes of that four hours. So that focus of really doing the work makes you go a lot faster. And it's a skill set that unfortunately most artists don't have. So I know now, though, that you do read the script before you uh, you go in and you do the inks. Is that kind of not common in the industry? Um, I've known some anchors that don't read the script at all. Um, it, it, it depends a lot on how good your penciler is. If your penciler is really tight and really clean, pretty much everything that you need to know is on the image. But... I like to read the scripts whenever possible because there are subtle inflections. I I mean, something as obvious as is it nighttime or daytime, it affects greatly how you ink a piece. Uh, But something even more subtle, like what is the thought process going on in the character's mind may make just a tiny little indication of a line really important that you make it into a frown and not a smile. Uh, One thing I did with uh, Mark Bagley years ago on Ultimate Spider-Man is... Um, in the script, 
Peter Parker was revealing to, oh no, sorry, wrong story. Um, Mary Jane was talking to Flash uh, Thompson and she was kind of yelling at Flash Thompson because Gwen Stacy had died in the book and she was, and he was still picking on Gwen Stacy, even though she had died. Um, and most of the kids were starting to really get down on Flash Thompson because he was being so insensitive. And in the script, Bendis wrote that uh, Mary Jane had a kind of aha moment. Oh, she kind of figured out, or she thought she figured out that, aha, you really liked her, and that's why you're picking on her. Uh, but in the script, it very clearly said she wasn't quite sure. And Bagley had drawn her with a pretty much uh, not a, a big grin, but a smile that both sides of the mouth were turned up a, a little bit to say, like, I figured it out and I got you and I know what's going on. But because the script said she wasn't quite sure, I made the decision to have one, one corner of the mouth was turned up exactly the way Bagley had done it. And the other side of the mouth, I kept it straight because I wanted it to be like a half smile, like she wasn't all the way sure. And frequently when I'd make corrections like that, I might call up the penciler and ask him if it's okay, or even call up a writer sometimes. Uh, but in this case, I think I had forgotten to do that. And I just did it. And, and I, I had a really good working relationship with Bagley. We're, we're good buddies and we talk all the time. But in this case, I forgot to tell him. And then, like, when the book came out, like, a month or so later, he's like, Scott, you changed my face. I'm like, uh-oh, what did I do? And I, I literally, by this point, I had totally forgotten I'd even done this. And he's like, oh, the, the face where, you know, Mary Jane is talking to Flash. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm totally screwed. He's going to yell at me and stuff. He said, I love it. You did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, phew, okay, I didn't screw it up, you know. But it's still something that I would never have been able to do that if it weren't for reading the script. Now, I think uh, in, in some cases with inkers, I see them and it's very obvious to me who's inking them. Now, do you have a, do you kind of adapt your style to fit the penciler when you're working? Or is yes, it I, I'm actually. I'm also, I think I'm relatively unusual in the fact that um, I try very hard to highlight the penciler, not highlight myself. Uh, So I want to make the penciler look as good as I can in their style. And I try to adapt my style. I have an overall, you know, thing that I do kind of the same for everybody. But my particular style is very adaptable. I can do really cartoony. I can do really realistic. I can do very fine rendering. I can do very bold cartoony rendering and everything in between. And that goes also to my basic drawing skills that I know how to draw myself. So a style is just a style on top of good drawing. Um, A lot of cartoonists, unfortunately, they just learn a style and they don't necessarily learn good drawing underneath the style. So they can only do it one way, especially a lot of inkers. They learn how to ink one way. And that's kind of their whole world that no matter who they get, they're going to ink it exactly the same way. Um, For instance, like if you if you get a brick wall from a penciler, I can do a brick wall in a hundred different ways, depending on what the penciler gives me, depending on what I feel like, depending on the the rest of the book, the character. Um, And I literally like, again, uh, when I was working with David Finch last year, he loves texture and he loves doing all this really beautiful penciling. And there was this one really great scene where there, uh, Wonder Woman was fighting, uh, uh, facing off against another character, and the backdrop was some buildings with all these brick walls and shadows. And literally, when David saw the inks, he was like, Scott, I've worked with like dozens of the best inkers in the industry, and I've never seen a brick wall rendered the way you rendered that brick wall. And it wasn't because it's not that I'm better than all the other people, but I came up with a different way of doing it as opposed to having a standard brick wall ink line, which a lot of inkers do. You know, it's, it's kind of, maybe it's my ignorance, but uh, when I, when I hear that you say, I know how to, uh, I know how to draw as well. I know how to do pencils. What is it possible for somebody to ink for 30 years and not, pick that up, not know. Like it just, I, uh, I can't imagine. 
No, yeah, pretty much every every top anchor in the industry always knows how to draw. It ha- it's a it's a mandatory element. But one of the especially in the early days when a lot of people used to say, "Oh, I can't pencil that well, so I'll become an inker," thinking that the penciler would do all the work and the inker just has to trace things. Um, and that's where inkers got a bad reputation because there were some inkers that didn't know how to draw very well themselves. But none of those inkers last long. They don't last as long. They're not as successful. They're not as popular because they're not bringing something to the party. You know, they're just showing up and and doing the limited amount they can do. But every literally every top inker I've ever met is a very good draftsman and they know how to draw very well. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Smith actually made an on-running gag of that in Chasing Amy. The character was an exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Is it is it nice to be? I guess the inker has a little bit more, a, a little bit more I don't know, privacy or obscurity. Is that is that nice or is it you kind of go, come on, guys, look what we're contributing <laughs> over here? Is uh, I. This was, again, a conscious decision I made because when I first started in comics, I was penciling and inking my own work. And when I was making that choice of do I want to specialize in just inking or try to do both or try to just be a penciler, um, I I realized from the outset the, the inker is never going to get the same acclaim, the star power that a penciler gets. Um, and, you know, despite that, I've, I've actually been totally surprised that I've won like a lot of awards for doing what I do. I have gotten, a, I don't have a Wikipedia page yet, but I've gotten, a lot of, Give it a week. I've gotten, a lot, but I've gotten a lot of recognition for what I do, uh, because of both my skill and the quantity of work I've done. And I've worked on so many phenomenal projects with so many great pencilers. Um, but at the same time, it is kind of nice to have a little bit more anonymity so I'm not attracting, you know, the same attention. Uh, and, and one of the reasons for that is most people don't even understand what inking really is. They don't really see the changes we make because they only see the inked version most of the time. Um, so they say, oh, that's just what the penciler did, right? And, and now it's dark. They don't realize that a good inker is really bring a, a lot of transformation and skill to, and the same thing happens with a colorist. You know, a good colorist can add tremendously to the end product, but the colorists don't get the same credit that the pencilers do. So the, the colorists and the inkers have a very, very large impact on the final product, but don't get the recognition factor of the writers and the pencilers. And for me, that's okay. I don't really mind that at all. I didn't become an inker to be the star. I just became an inker because I love inking. So is there a way, like, like I mean, you you are talking to fans in this case, but uh, is there a way that you would suggest that we look at it to be able to tell the inking, like, and to be <laughs> to be able to appreciate it more, to to appreciate the inking, to appreciate the coloring? Like, sometimes it's as simple as as looking at an image a different way. Uh, well, it, a lot of times, like. Um if you can get the opportunity, uh, sometimes uh, they've had recently with all the alternate covers, sometimes they have a pencil cover and then the ink cover and seeing those things side by side next to each other, you start realizing it's like, wait, this is without color. This is just the inking, but it's very different from the pencil and it's very different from the ink version or the colored version. So that kind of separates us and starts realizing, oh, there are steps involved here and each step looks different. And that's probably the best way is really to do a comparison. Occasionally, um, I'll do something on Facebook. Actually, I just did uh, this past month a couple of images where I did like a Finch drawing of his pencils, my step-by-step inking to see how I go. Like, not it wasn't a video, but it was, you know, one hour in, two hours in, three hours in, four hours, and it's done kind of thing. Um, and then... Uh, Sometimes even you'll see the color, then you can compare that to the colored page and see again the differences. Um, the, and a, a bad inker can absolutely destroy a good penciler's work. A bad colorist can totally destroy a good penciler and inker's work. Um, so you, the hope is always that you get each person adding to the process and making it better and better as we go along. So I'm wondering kind of... Um 
with a career that's lasted as long as yours has, was there some moments where you, you, you know, your first moment where you meet like a Stan Lee or, you know, Julie Schwartz or I don't know who you might have had a chance, but just like a legendary guy and you're like, wow, that's cool. Or you, you were like, wow, okay, I'm inking Kurt Swan or whoever it is, you know, you're, you're just like, you know, this is, this is, this is my, this is, I was looking for some cool interactions <laughs> or, or funny stories you might have had with, with somebody the first time you met them in the, in the industry or, and, you know, some, uh, yeah, somebody that you, you ran into for the first time and it was just, an, you know, an excellent experience or hero, worship even, uh, anything anything like that, just kind of. Well, what, one of the great things about my particular job is as a penciler, you get to work with maybe some of the writers you grew up loving. And uh, I've gotten to work with Stan Lee. I've got, I worked with Chris Claremont a lot. I worked with... Uh, you know, obviously, uh, well, Chuck Dixon was more recent, but Doug Mensch, I worked with him. Uh, I worked with a lot of top writers that I grew up loving their work. Um, I also, because of the the qualities of an anchor, is you get to work with pencilers. And, you know, I was a big fan of a lot of different pencilers. I, I loved Jim Aparo. I got to work with him. I loved... Uh, Jack Kirby, I got to work with him. I loved Kurt Swan, I got to work with him. I, I loved, uh, actually, I think the very first comic I ever read had a cover by Nick Cardi. I got to work with him. Um, I, I got to work with Walt Simonson, who usually inks himself. I thought, there's no way I'll ever work with Walt Simonson. I got to work with him. Uh, I Actually, if you if anybody ever looks at my signature, I, I uh, my signature is very strongly influenced when I was a kid by Mike Grell. Most people nowadays don't know who Mike Grell was, but when I was growing up, he was a really big deal, and I got to work with him. He's a big um, deal to us. I can I, that's right. We love Mike Grell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 another artist that influenced me tremendously when I was starting to read comics, I, his work stood out to me really well against the average crowd because he, he, gave some, he brought something new to the industry was Neil Adams. And again, Neil, for a long time, Neil had stopped working in the industry. But by the time I got in, he was kind of out of the industry. And I figured, oh, there's no chance in a million years I'll ever get to work with Neil Adams. And then just last year, I did a variant cover with Neil Adams, uh, which was actually very intimidating, too, because I'm like, ah, ah, I got to ink over Neil. This is really tough. <laughs> uh, so I, that, that one was, even after doing this for 30 years, it was still scary because it was Neil Adams, you know. Um, but if you, if you have time, I'll tell you my funny story about uh, working with John Romita Jr. Um, you got a second here? Tell away. <laughs> we got okay, time for when, all your funny stories. When, when I was first breaking into the industry, and I had worked uh, as a penciler and anchor, and then anchor exclusively at Eternity Comics, a small black and white company. Uh, they only published black and white books. I kind of perfected my skill set before I went to Marvel in D.C. I went to Marvel in D.C. at exactly the same time. And back then, at both companies, even though I had lots of samples of my pencil and ink work, uh, because I was going in as an inker, they said, okay, we're going to give you copies of our pencilers' work, and we want you to ink our pencilers and see what you do over our guys, not these second rate, no offense uh, to the guys I was working with, but you know, the, the less, lesser than stellar pencilers I was usually working with at the smaller company. So I went to Marvel, um, got a whole bunch of work. I, I think there were pages of Alan Davis, and uh, I can't even remember all the pencilers, but one of the pencilers was John Romita Jr. Uh, his early stuff on, I think it was uh, his, his very first run on Spider-Man. Um, and I tried inking uh, all the, I did all, actually there, there were some, um, I, don't know, they, I think the Daredevil pages, She-Hulk pages, a whole bunch of different pencilers, different books, uh, like one page of each pencilor. And I did all of them. I was happy with all of them, but I was really, really unhappy with the John Romita Jr. page because I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get his style. I didn't understand about that you know, being able to add stuff to it the same way I do now. And I was so uncomfortable with it, I never brought those pages back to Marvel. At DC, I went at the same time, got a batch of pages from them, 
Um, I got uh, Mike Mignola pages. I got, um, uh, I again, I don't remember. Oh, actually, John Bissam, I think, was one of the ones at Marvel. Um, but at, at DC, I got a whole batch of ink, inking pages from them. I liked what I did with everybody. I brought that stuff back to DC, and DC gave me a job right away. And from that point on, I was exclusive to DC. Then years later, when I finally started working at Marvel, I think I was working on, um, I'd worked on Spider-Man with Tom Lyle for about a year. Then I transferred over to working on Cable over Ian Churchill. And I was working on on Ian, and I I was doing other stuff here and there for uh, Marvel and still working for DC. And I kept getting these call things like, hey, Scott, could you help out on a couple of pages of John Romita Jr. on Spider-Man or something? And I'm like, no, no, I can't eat that guy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I didn't literally say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking. It was like, no, I always found an excuse. I was busy or, you know, and I usually was busy, but I still was like, nah, not, you know, go, go, you know, I, I'm occupied right now. Call somebody else. And I literally month after month, it wasn't happening every month, but over the course of at least a year, I kept getting these calls saying, Hey, try out, you know, can you do some pages over John Romita Jr.? And I kept flashing back to that those sample pages I had done, you know, years and years prior, and thinking I just can't ink this guy. There's and and he's also been inked by some of the top guys in the industry. Like I love Al Williamson, who's one of my idols of inkers and, and pencilers for that matter in the industry. And Al was inking him on Amazing Spider-Man. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to compare myself to Al Williamson and do a bad job over John Romita Jr. right next to Al Williamson pages, right? So. Again, they kept asking me for over the course of a year, every now and then they asked me to help out and I'd always say no. And then finally I got this call from an editor, basically the Spider-Man editor saying, it's like, Scott, we want you to ink John Romita Jr. full time on Amazing Spider-Man. Or actually I think at that time it was Spider-Man, not Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And normally a lot of times, even today, Pencilers, if they want to work with an inker, will frequently say, it's like, okay, I'm not sure what your stuff is going to look like over me, so I want you to, the penciler will say to the inker, please ink a sample page over me. If I like it, then you'll get the job. If I don't like it, you won't get the job. But in the case of Romita, he never said that. He basically, for some reason, he just like, fine, you're, you know, I want you on the book. And I never worked with the guy. So I actually asked to do a sample piece of not inking from a Xerox, uh, or nowadays it would be called a blue line or a pencil scan. Um, but I said, I want to work over his real pencils because with the real pencils, you get a subtlety and a different um, impression than you do get from a copy of something. So they gave me a cover of Amazing Spider-Man that was in the pencils by Ramita. And I inked it, and I I think I'd matured enough as an artist that I actually thought I could handle it pretty well. So I said yes, and then I ended up working with him for like nine years without a break on Spider-Man. Uh, but I was initially scared to death to work with John Romita Jr. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that because you would you saw his rough pencils when they were sent to you originally, and then you would have seen what they looked like with an Al Williamson. I'm surprised you didn't look at it and go, oh, I see what's going on here. This is the role, you know? But I guess you're well, just kind of shell-shocked in some way, worried about, you know, what would happen. Well, even even to the point where, like, I love some of the things that Al Williamson brought to the table that nobody else inked on the same way, but I specifically also didn't want to copy Al Williamson. So there were certain techniques that he did, like he did these like really wonderful, like horizontal lines in the skies when they weren't even in the pencils or something. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's a really cool technique. I want to use that technique. But I purposely didn't do it because I didn't want people to think, oh, Scott's just a bad copy of Al Williamson. So I had to come up with, especially with John, I had to come up with my own way of doing it that didn't look like every other person that I'd ever inked him. And that's Brett, one of the challenges of working with an artist like that. Brett and I have long thought of you as a good copy of Al Williamson. I just want you to know. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> when I think Al Williamson, I, I just I just think uh, he's a pale imitator of Scott Hanna. <laughs> well, that's, that's on the show, and then. <laughs> 
Uh, well, thank you know what uh, this it's being great is a little bit uh, strange how we kept on you know losing each other, but it it, it, you, it has been an awesome talk, and we, we're seriously going to do your Wikipedia. You, you deserve it, and uh, you know uh, basically we have a I don't know, Britt, do you have any final questions or? Um, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think we have a good time, except for the multiple interruptions, which I have no idea why that happened, but we managed to get through it. I think we did a good job. So great talking with you guys. Keep up the good work, and thank you very much. <laughs> well, we'll just say, you know, uh, we have, Scott, we have a little something that we'd like to to do. It's a, it's a tradition. It is a tradition. On, yes. on We Talk Comics, and, and we're going to give you a chance here to do a little thing we like to call Plug Your Shit. Okay. <laughs> See, half of it's in the reaction because because a lot of people are 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 like confused, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then a lot of people are like, "All right, I totally, I'm totally down with that." But yeah, yeah, just, just don't, don't, yeah. please promote yourself. Tell people where they can find you, what they should check out. You know, your Twitter and Facebook, anything else you want. Yeah, what you're working on currently. Okay, I, I I will give you a rundown. So yes, you can check out my school is the Arts and Fashion Institute dot com or AFA or sorry AFI Art School dot com. Uh, you can see some info on me and the classes I teach. Uh, currently, I'm working for both Marvel and DC Comics. I'm doing Justice League of America and Justice League and Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny for DC. Um, and for Marvel, I'm doing Black Panther. Black Panther and the Crew is my regular monthly book for Marvel. Uh, just worked on Great Lakes Avengers and the regular Avengers. Um, usually have kind of like a couple of core monthly books and then several other books that I do on a regular basis. Um, and that's about it. Oh, I'm actually working on a creator-owned project, but that's still just getting off the ground, so I can't really uh, talk about that one yet. It's still top secret. Um, but, um, yeah, so I'm a busy guy. Yeah. Yeah. You obviously, how many, so, sorry, how many books then can you do in a month? Um, usually I think, uh, several times I've, I kind of max out about, uh, at about a hundred pages in a month, which is, if you think of a typical comic book now is about 20 pages, sometimes they're 22 or 24 or 30 depends, but, uh, if, a, if a book is 20 pages, that means I can technically do five complete books in a month, but I wouldn't want to do that every month. That's like the maximum. And that's also with kind of standard pencilers. So if it's a really detailed penciler, I, I might cut my workload down to like three books a month or something. Um, but normally my average is I usually ink about 70 pages a month. That's well, like my on- normal. Based on what you had uh, listed for this month's worth, I thought you were going to say 100 books. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, wow. <laughs> well, actually, actually, one of the weird things, is, especially recently, like it used to be, I would be on a book for five years, uh, in a you know, continually. Nowadays, they're like, oh, Scott, can you help out and do five pages of this book and ten pages of this book? And when it starts adding up like that, I'm doing like sometimes eight or ten books in a month. Wow. Okay, I, I got another call coming in, so I'm going to get going. Okay, thank um, you very much, Scott. But great talking to you guys. Thank you very much. And um, and yeah, again, sorry for the interruptions. I, I I'm I'm sure it doesn't happen to you normally, but you you dealt with it very well. It's all good. Thank you, Scott Hanna. Good luck with the rest of uh, with the rest of your work. You're such a busy guy, and we will talk to you again. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hey, right, take care. Good night. Okay, bye. Bye.